0: be aware of the energy that which you bring to others. Be aware of your energy which you bring to life because it has an
1: impact. Hi everyone, it's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman Podcast, where every episode we try to bring you something that will create a little moment of opportunity or invitation to be more free, to be more open, to deprogram unhelpful stories, a new frame on something perhaps, an aha moment, a moment of wonder. And this week, we are talking about the topic of safety, feeling safe. I went to a really fun little dinner party, and there were a couple of very introverted people there. And to my great surprise, after about an hour of snacks and then another hour of chit-chat, and uh, maybe two or three hours into the evening, one of those people, as they sort of dropped into their body and dropped into the space, became a complete comic, like a stand-up comic-level funny Another person began to sing and to drum when they had an invitation and I felt this shift like what was the movement in the person that went from hanging back and observing, being on the perimeter, checking things out, feeling into the space that then allowed them to come straight in and start really participating and showing themselves. So one of the great gifts of feeling safe is the idea to really fully be yourself without apology, without holding back. That applies to lovemaking also. The most important thing for women in sexuality is to feel so safe that they can let down and be in their full desire and be in their arousal. So how do we create that kind of safety? We are just coincidentally today um, on the farm hosting a workshop on Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent. So one of the forms of being safe inside of yourself and being safe in groups is to get really good at boundary management, at naming your desire, what you're willing to accept, what you're willing to give. And Betty Martin, uh, who's OG on this stuff, Uh, invented a whole modality called the Wheel of Consent and I really encourage anyone who's interested in understanding how to articulate their desire, how to claim their desire, how to get consent from others, make sure you're in consent to go and review Betty Martin's material. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But today my guest is a woman named Viraja Prema. She is a Dakini, which is, you know, we've talked about would you hire Dhaka before on a prior episode with Adam Bauer, which is one of the most popular episodes in the first season. And Raj is the female equivalent of that. She does a lot of transformative work with people to break through barriers. And one of the things we're talking about is sacred safety. So how do you create safety in yourself and in a container with another person or with many other people so that you can really drop in and do the healing work? We touch on a lot of stuff in this episode on. The benefits of creating a safety container on what challenges that in our embodiment, whether it 's racial or where we were born, what we were encountering in the political environment, did we grow up in a violent environment, did we grow up amid chaos? Did that safety get knit into us? What about safety in a female body? How to cultivate that? you know how how things like birthing and sexuality and overt attention can impact people and their feeling of being safe in themselves and sovereign and what some adaptations are for that and she tells some very good stories. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, the show is brought to you by Rosebud Woman, the intimate wellness company that I founded in 2017. You can find Rosebud at rosewoman.com and please support the brand because they support the show. The lovely transition for me in the last couple of months is that um, my eldest daughter, Samantha, has taken over the company as president. And man, is there anything more beautiful than seeing someone step into a magnification of their gifts. So as she stepped into this role, she's doing a phenomenal job. So if you want to give me a boost as a mama, you can give her a boost also uh, in her new role as president by checking out rosewoman.com. Okay, with no further ado, I start by asking Viraja, what is safety?
0: Safety is really an inside out experience where there is a coherence in our own sense of self. Like we are able to rest in our own being, we're able to know our own truth. And have our container, like our feelings, our presence, our awareness, be established and home in ourself enough that we are moving in the world authentically with absolute trust in ourselves. And then if there's any warble in that, in the external experience with others, that We have the capacity to have a conversation, to create the dynamics and the scenario that really help us be who we are and help us feel true and safe in a way that we are able to be open as much as we want to be in each moment to be experiencing life in the most optimal way.
1: It sounds like there are things inside of the self that get in the way of that, as well as things that are outside of you, environmental factors. So what do you think stops it inside of people? Like why, what causes people not to trust themselves or feel at home in themselves? Mm,
0: Wow, this is part of the, I call it like the mandala of life where there's all these interacting experiences and opportunities that are in some ways even challenging us to come home even more. So start from birth, you know, even in utero, were we held in a way that really supported the unfolding naturally of our being, or was there, was there a stressful dynamics? Was there contraction? Was there cortisol pumping through the mom? Was there um, increased and in intensity that we were experiencing even energetically through the womb, and then that translates out through the rest of our life? Like, are we having the attunement the care the love the space and even the seeing and acknowledging of who we are and our existence if you will that has that can support us in trusting trusting others trusting ourselves so early experiences of the environment are largely our like what's happening in our home what's happening in our family dynamics what's happening psychologically energetically emotionally and then more environmental you know are we in a safe place like dear beloveds have grown up where their apartment building was being bombed when they were growing up so like if we look at that extent of what is happening across the globe we have the trauma impact from the subtle conversational dynamics of is it safe to be me and can i relax my nervous system to are we as embodied person of whatever color having a space to be welcomed as who we are to is our culture at war our country at war and moving further it's like where our boundaries are we don't know those at the beginning and then as we learn and grow and become more aware of being a separate person it's like do i have the right to be my own individual person Am I being taught that, shown that by the way our teachers are relating to us, the way our our government's relating to us, the way we have our relationship with nature itself? You know, I grew up in Northern California, which is a beautiful setting, but I didn't realize until years later when I went to Kauai how deeply embedded in my system I had drought consciousness. So this, even this, like, fear of, do I have enough water I remember the door being knocked on if I was in the shower for more than five minutes and the then told to turn off the water and then going to my, our favorite lake and water skiing when I was younger. It, there were times in the summer where the lake didn't have enough water. So like this almost this existential experience of being a human on this planet, like, am I safe? Am I going to have my needs met?
1: Mm, I mean, these are such huge questions. Is it safe to be me? And I love that you brought in the idea that is it safe to be um, in a in a different skin color? Is it safe to be on earth? And there's a big embedded question like, is it safe to be a woman? That's also so such a huge component in our culture anyway. And since we're kind of going in that direction, you want to talk a little bit about the safety experiences of of womanhood in your life?
0: Yeah, beautiful. I always wanted to be a mother. And I've always been a very embodied person, very energetic, very loving. And my, I have two children. My first son is, you know, an amazing initiator for me into becoming more of a woman, of course, when we move into that dynamic. But um, one thing that happened for me that was absolutely life-changing is the whole process of being pregnant, pregnant and then going into labor and birth. First of all, the realization I'm not in control of it, like this is going to happen by something greater than me that's organizing this whole growth and delivery and human existence. And then just before I went into labor, actually it was a few days before I went into labor, he moved into a posterior position, which is also called sunny side up. So his head was down still, but he shifted. So his his face was up towards my belly instead of towards my sacrum. And I learned since then that this is the textbook most painful type of labor and extremely intense. And it, it continued and continued and continued for three days. And I was like, I am trusting and knowing that my woman wisdom knows how to birth this baby. Like it is an honor, and this is—I was moving into this initiation of being a mother. And at 62 hours into labor, my midwife, because I was very committed to having this baby at home and in the water, my midwife sat down and looked me in the eyes and said, "What are you doing to not let this baby birth?" First of all, I wanted to you know, scream in her face or punch her because I was like, my first reaction was a, how dare you? But then as I sat with it and went into the shower and screamed and cried, I realized that I really was doing something that was holding back my feminine wisdom, my feminine power, my, my capacity. And the way it translated through was that I wasn't feeling safe to fully be here. I wasn't feeling fully safe to be in my own body And because of that, I was contracting and holding in. And in essence, I didn't feel an integrity to birth another being onto the planet because I had the story that it wasn't safe to be here, that it wasn't safe. And as I moved that energy and that expression through my body, I started then shifting to a new vision that As I came more into my body, more into my ground, and more into trusting this intelligence that was being shown, like this baby's being birthed into my arms and my love and this life that we're creating together, wherever I was getting that information in this body, this DNA, or across time of not feeling safe, that that was relevant and to whatever degree very, very true, and that I could clear that out. I could clear that out and imprint something knew and he and I could do that together then amazingly I moved out of the shower had incredible experiences after that included calling my acupuncturist who happened to have taken the day off she came in did moxa on my baby left toe which I Hope every woman knows if they ever have this scenario. The baby then immediately turned over, rolled over, and I birthed the baby, him, in about an hour after that in the hot tub on the cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, my takeaway is this deep embodied rewrite and acknowledging that not only do I have that embodied power, but that I'm with a team with other beings, and we're here to help each other. Like my, the women came around me. My acupuncturist came. The disconnection, not from the men, but I, but from like into myself. Like there was a, a part of me that was wanting their dad to help me to do it for me to, to guide me to make this safety, which is partly true. That space was beautifully held, but there was an inside access that I didn't know how to find until that moment of really really coming home into myself and albeit it's been my whole life journey of like how to be safe in my own body so this was like the graduate like dissertation in some in some regards
1: i mean are you safe giving birth is not an unreasonable question and it sits in the ancient dna of women that it's very likely that you'll die you know, it's not, an, it's not an unknown experience to our grandmothers and our great grandmothers and women in, our, in lineage is like one in four women died in childbirth, not one in four childbirths, but they would have like a dozen kids. It's a very, I feel like there's also something deep in our ancestral knowing that says this is a scary time. And so you're kind of pointing to this thing where it's scary and yet I also have to trust my body and engage with it in a way that makes it more safe where I'm going with the process and believing in my own capacity that mitigates that ancestral and very real physical danger. So I think there's something sweet in this exploration of when we are in legitimate potential danger, what is the choice that you make internally to ground yourself back into your own safe heart, your own home?
0: Yeah, I think having road signs along the way are very, very helpful. So how we notice those or what those are that mean, what that mean the most to each person is finding the treasures of mining and mining the experiences of this human human life. So I took what I learned from that. And then my second birth, I had a moment where it was starting to intensify and I, it was almost like a why in the road and I could have gone the one side which would have been the contraction and the fear but I now had basically a road sign at that Y in the road and it was like oh I know what that is I have a reference point for that and it was like oh no I don't need to do that and instead I took a deep breath I went the other direction in my nervous system and in my consciousness by saying I'm birthing my baby perfectly and it moved into this flowing dolphin-esque water home birth experience. And Michael was under six hours. He was born in five hours and 40 minutes. And it was a, a very much an orgasmic, fluid, beautiful birth experience.
1: Yeah. If you haven't, by the way, if you're listening and you're interested in that, we did an episode on orgasmic birth with uh, Deborah Pascali Bonaro um, not that long ago. So you can go find that. She's amazing. Uh, it really does change the what we think about as being possible in giving birth. Okay, so being in a woman's body, birth is probably one of the toughest uh, safety challenges, but also you can find that trust in it. And uh, you're a very beautiful woman. Did you ever have like a sense when you were growing up that that made you less safe? Hmm.
0: I didn't know how unsafe I felt until my mid-twenties because it was like, The fish that's in the water doesn't know it's in the water. (laughs) I didn't know how much energy was coming at me or that I was navigating that had to do with um, sexuality and energy and attraction and an exchange that I had kind of more or less just always known or subconsciously bought into. And so, yes, I have absolutely felt unsafe And my compensating pattern was to kind of go with it and be like more like extra seductive, even though I'm, and and kind of utilize that to my advantage. And it's one of the, it's hard to say, but it's a very common thing for people. And it was definitely one of my main patterns that I have have worked with. And it's where like, I like the attention. If they give me the attention, then I can get a certain results. But also, to the other side of it, I have had my boundaries crossed. I have um, not been considered. I did feel like other's people, other people's needs and desires were more important than my own. That they didn't see me for who I really am. There was a story made up about me by what I looked like or what I did or I didn't do. Underneath, there was extraordinary amounts as you can expect like of rage and anger once i finally started unearthing that one major way that i learned how much my nervous system and how stressful this had been for me was a few years ago when i had a traumatic brain injury and a near-death experience and those that may have had traumatic brain injuries could probably agree with me that we're Extraordinarily sensitive after. It's like our insulation around our body and our nervous system is gone. I was very fortunate. I had some dear healer friends and very attuned friends, and some people that did like somatic experiencing and network chiropractic and very, very subtly attuned practices that would just be with me. And they would say, no, Just slow down. And as I slowed down, I started feeling like the tumultuous flow and anxiety, dysregulation that was underneath the surface that I had no idea was there, no idea. I had been coping or compartmentalizing or denying it for so long and it was overwhelming. It feels like a, like if you go to an immersion or a retreat, I felt like this was like a gift because it was a period of a year it took me more than that to fully recover, but a year where the really the main thing I could do was just stay attuned to my own body, my own system, and communicate as best as I could from that place. And it was very frightening for quite a while and overwhelming. Like I would cry and I just listened to this amazing woman, it's an older Ted talk, but she talks, she's a neuroscientist and and neuro researcher and she had a stroke and she speaks from the inside of the experience, like with her observer mind talking about what's happening in the left and right brain. And as I'm watching this Ted talk, I started crying because it's exactly speaks to my experience. And what her, one of her main messages, and she even brought this to Oprah is like, be aware of the energy that which you bring to others. Be aware of your energy which you bring to life because it has an impact. And being a very energetically sensitive person and, a, and an empath, I have superpowers because of that. But my very, very sensitive human self hadn't had a chance to really reconcile how much I had been impacted and, and managed my whole life.
1: Yeah, that TED Talk is um, My Stroke of Insight. It's Jill Bolte-Taylor's work, I think of 2004. Maybe the book came out later. Maybe, maybe her talk was in 2006, but it was a pretty amazing narration of, of witnessing it from the inside. It also made me wonder, like, all the people that we think aren't cognitively present, you know, they might be having totally vibrant, exciting experiences inside of their own mind. Who are we to tell? But this is all part of that question of, like, is it safe to be me? You know, there are other adaptations, the one that you describe kind of going with it and and leveraging it and playing on it is very intelligent. And then there are other people who kind of contract and pull away and shut down because they can't take it. But I think identifying and and seeing like, what is my particular adaptation? That's a very interesting process to kind of unpack. And then you keep, you've mentioned a few times, uh, boundaries, boundary violations, knowing where you end and other people begin. And, and how that impacts safety. And I'm kind of curious because, as you were saying, sort of where does our awareness of are we safe or not develop? You know, if it's prenatal, if it's early childhood, if it's environmental, if it's weather or climate related, if it's cultural, like, are there different levels of, of capacity to amend those? Like, can you really reprogram something that's prenatal? I mean, I could definitely see unlearning water scarcity, but I'm not sure that I could unlearn the fact that there was too much stress cortisol running through my mother's uh, umbilical cord. You know, mm. what do you think?
0: I would say overall. Yes. I think we can, I don't know if it's 100%, but if a large percent, if not a hundred percent, we can reprogram some of these things that have happened in our environment and our um, upbringing and our, our teachings of life. So I wanna summarize as far as what we can do if we're not feeling safe. There's a few key categories that are most typical. Picture yourself in your life, either currently or in the past, where you've had a, a scenario where you didn't feel safe. And then just do a quick assessment. Like if you if, if you were safe, just say if, if in the ideal sense of safety of yourself, you would be, I, the words I use is kind of resting in your center. Like in your heart, in your belly, connected. Maybe you, you connect more to earth or you connect more, you know, laterally out to others, or you feel the spaciousness of your connection with the universe, but in a place where you're also connected to your body. Just, just give that as an optimal reference point. Now, compare that to when you didn't feel safe. And if you could use like a, a special view camera to kind of track like where does that your your center point go when you're not feeling safe take a breath and and just yeah just notice if there's any informing of yourself of where it goes
1: for me it goes up and out it kind of goes up and out like up and out like up and behind me and about 12 feet above me Mm mm-hmm
0: how would you be in those next moments with your with your center of being out and above you and behind you how do you and relate with another when you're in that place
1: numb I'm numb I'm not available to relate to them in that place it goes straight to mind like I can just relate to them intellectually but there's no relating from the heart it's a it's a little bit like nervous energy, like I get a little antsy and I want to run sometimes when that, when that happens, when I'm in that place. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I I relate to that too. Like want to run but, and like your pathway for running is up and out. One of the pathways, up and out. Yeah. So that's one category. It's up and out. It's like the scared cat that jumps up with its hair on its back and it's like, Whoa, like out of here. And the result is, yeah, we're not home. We're not here. There's like a hollowness or a numbness or even like a a glazed look on people's face when that happens. And there's one school of thought around this and they call that the schizoid process. So it's like, we're like just up and out. I do that a lot too. I'm very external. So I can go up and out. Like I go up and out, like to other galaxies. Like I go really far, (laughs) So that's my my life journey of really being in my body and grounded and safe and supporting other people in that. Another typical category is where you go deeply inside your own being. It's like as if you're a massive ball, like anchor ball that's just going to submerge like deep inside, even like deep into the earth where it's like I'm going to go so far in that nobody's going to know what's happening for me.
1: Mm, I could see that.
0: Yeah. So they're like seemingly like immovable. The pain of this is that they often take on a lot that's not theirs. So these could be like larger physical body people or um, people that have a lot of like stomach issues and things. Cause they're like, they're like stomaching it and bringing it deep inside. So they tend to be more reserved or slow, or they're not showing a lot of outward ex- expression. But inside, like you said a little earlier, like there's so much going on. Like there are, there's like lava. There's like so much going on inside of them. One of the other categories is where they can get very demonstrative, even chaotic or hysteric, because there's it's those that seem overly dramatic and. It's like the storm comes up, and they're they're not safe, but they're like they're a little, you know, out of control.
1: So, sort of externalizing it. One is deeply internalizing it. One is externalizing it at this plane of in you know directly with other people, and another is sort of externalizing it by going to the spiritual. Yes, those are three common patterns. Interesting.
0: Three common patterns. Yeah, and then the other one, which is, which is very heart connected because we're wanting to protect our heart and have our heart be safe in these scenarios. The the protective pattern for that could be anger or aggression or psychopath. And it's like, it's coming out fierce, but it's because the heart is so sensitive. It's like that's heart has not been honored. And so two pathways that can happen is one is the aggressive pattern and overpowering is a lot of what that can look like. Like, I'm not safe, I'm not feeling enough or seen or honored and I'm going to overpower you so I feel more safe. And the other is I'm going to go into like more like the sub like seductive, like I'm going to utilize this like lower chakra power, like energy to feel more safe.
1: There's a, you know, when they were doing all of that stuff on fight and flight or freeze, they only did that study with men. And when they added women, they found there was two other adaptations, uh, Tend and Befriend. And so this piece of like, okay, this is how I'm going to deal with my lack of safety. I'm going to get be your ally. And like, you know, the seduction piece is part of that, I feel like. I mean, this is wonderful. So, I mean, how intelligent and brilliant everyone is to try to create a place where they can hold themselves, even with all of these adaptations that by the time you're you know, in midlife, you're like, maybe I don't need these to create safety. But by that point, they're habits. So to say, well, this is a habit, is it really serving me? Or is it a lot of extra energy and a lot of extra work that I'm just like you were saying before used to like I'm a fish in water? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, i like to summarize it as like head, heart and groin. So if we can be checking in with ourselves, like, am I fully connected? And in myself, in my head, my heart and my groin, and the work around that is fun. Like if we actually start playing with it and, and then in any scenario, it could be a business meeting, it could be how we come out of bed, but especially when we're go, moving into intimacy and our sexuality, like some of us are more head oriented and we're not present or we're leaving our body or we're in fantasy and that can have pros and cons. And then our heart is our heart open and available to directly experience this exchange with this being right now and then our groin like not only is it are we there present relaxed and open but are, are we resting in our own power and our center so head heart and groin and also like power over power under or some or that like porridge too hot porridge too cold porridge just right
1: well safety and sexuality that's a whole that's a whole nother vein we should explore a little bit here you know, there's the basic safety of like, can I relax enough to enjoy myself? Like the number one thing that women in our annual survey say stops them from enjoying sexuality is the inability to relax and to like really let down. So can I relax and feel and enjoy myself? And then you have all of the other components of can I experiment? Can I play? And then you have safety issues that are both physical safety perception, psychological safety, like what will that person think of me? Um, How will I be perceived? What does this mean about my identity? I mean, it's such a a wide field of responses. So you do a lot of work uh, in sexuality. Can you speak to safety in that context specifically?
0: Absolutely. I was just um, enjoying a conversation with a client recently, and we were creating the nuance of there's safety, and then there's something we could call sacred safety. There's assumed like Maslow's hierarchy, like food, shelter, water is like base survival needs. Like there's safety, like they're not gonna kill me. They're, <laughs> you know, I I have air to breathe. I have the sustenance that my body needs in order to survive. And we're able to communicate and see each other. Like there's some basic safety dynamics that are kind of an assumption or or understood. And then there's like sacred safety. So that would, could include... How attuned is this person to me? Do they actually know what's happening, not only in themselves, but know what's happening in me? Can they have understanding and empathy for that? Can there be consideration for what I need? Like how fast or slow really works for me? Are you present? Are you in an emotional process? Can I I listen and hold space for that? And then there's conscious sensuality. So there's an assumption, okay, if we're going to have sex, that means our body's going to be touching and we're going to be doing things together. But sacred safety would be what type of touch works for you? What things do we want to do now together? And the presence, presence is an absolute, you know, already included in what I said, but it deserves its own acknowledgement. It's like, are you really in this moment with me are you in this moment in your own body as well? And and then setting the scene, like there's the dynamics for the safe environment, the environment that you're in. You know, women are highly vigilant. All people are, especially if you've had trauma, which most of us have. Like what is the environment to set that will support the opening and the relaxation where we're not tracking all the things around us and trying to discern if it's safe to open or not. So it's like setting up the space and the the room, the physical space, the time, the communication so that there is a natural opening. I, I often use the metaphor of the flower, Does the flower have the water, the sunlight, the nutrients, and all that it needs in order to open in that space? And that could be unique for every person. And I would say there's a through line of commonalities that are important to include. So it's like setting the time, container, perhaps the um, location, the lighting, the music—you know, even the flavor of what you're wanting to engage in or what you're willing to engage in with each other. I was also reading something that I really, I really agreed with. And it's like, what is, if we just look at trauma, which obviously is a big reason why we don't feel safe. Trauma needs three things in order to heal. And it was time, energy, and safety. So I could admit there were many sexual experiences I've had in my life that were re-traumatizing, even though I was consciously, willingly engaging in them because I didn't know how to set up or ask for the things I needed around the time and and like how we were moving into this. And is this this actual aligned for what works the best for me and the way the energy was in the exchange? And in there, I would say also the pacing, the pacing as, you know, there's like slow sex trends and um, I was enjoying your podcast with Susan Bratton and like talking about like how the different bodies need different timing in order to do their flowering, in order to have their opening. And obviously also through Rosebud Woman, I, you do definitely appreciate the flower metaphor. And the, the understanding of the nuances that on the most subtle somatic level and neurological level helps set you up to have the most pleasure. So I'd like saying like sacred safety can give you like steaming hot sex. It might feel like not sexy when you're actually talking or setting it up, but it's creating the playground for the most opening, for the most discovery, like the humility of being like, I don't know exactly what, you need or what i need we're going to discover it together like we don't have to have all the answers we can discover it in this this safe environment together
1: i think that paradox of talking about it which is kind of unsexy like you should be able to read somebody's mind that stuff is so useful to debunk the paradox that if you do that then later it can be even sexier or even that that process itself can be sexy a lot of people don't really know how to ask for what they need or talk about it. It's like scary for them. What do you tell clients?
0: I relate to that. It was about 20 years ago I started learning nonviolent communication, compassionate communication, and about not knowing what to ask for or what our needs are. I I saw this list of universal human needs that is um, easily, you can look up online, you can just Google it if you want to have it as a reference. And... I had, I was like dumbfounded. There was a part of me that was just like, oh my gosh, everybody has these needs men, women, child, adult, every human. I love the title, Universal Human Needs. It was so normalizing something that hadn't been expressed in life to me yet in that way. And it really permissioned, that whole practice is beautiful and permissioning our feelings and our needs, but it permissioned like this equality of our needs and the importance to include that in all of life. And especially, you know, in our deepest intimate relationships where we want to be opening more, to who we are through the reflection of this other person or through the gift of this experience of this shared intimate sexual or sensual or romantic or even friendship experience. So understanding what the options are is sometimes the first, a very good first step, especially if like as a woman, and I think many women, like we haven't been shown that it's okay for us to have equal pleasure, enjoyment, needs, rights for so long. It's like, it's so embedded in the mass consciousness.
1: How would you ask? Just how would you ask? You know, what would you coach a person who is like scared that they're going to be rejected in their need or how would you coach them? What would you tell them to do?
0: If someone has contraction or fear around asking for what they need. They may not even know what it is yet, or it may they may know or may they may not know. They might have buried it, disconnected from themselves, or they may not. It may be very, very, very easily accessible. But I, I like to hear what's true for them and then give them empathy, because this is something that's been there for a really long time. You know, there's a current dynamic with a person that is very relevant, but there might there's probably a um, a reservoir of the experience of not being able to speak their need or not having that need be received. So honoring that and giving them an opportunity to feel what's in there, what are the feelings that have been the result of not being able to speak the need, and Clearing that out clearing that st- that storehouse out and sometimes I just start with a general Structured practice that goes like this If you could be feeling fear about anything in your life right now, what would that be about? And I let them free flow like If You could imagine that and you just like get a chance to like free flow it where it's not particularly even needing to be about a, a specific person or scenario. It's just like letting it be spoken and free flow it's like priming the pump and then holding space for a person and if you do this for yourself or a beloved if you hold space for that person and just an open-hearted listening it's going to help that move it's going to give them a gift and then you can move to another category like if you could be feeling anger about anything in your life right now what would that be about and they get to go through that and then you get to like oh, hold space for that fire, you know, and if you could be feeling, you know, sadness and grief about anything in your life right now, what would that be about? Yeah. And, then, and if you could be feeling joy or elation, like excitement about anything in your life, what would that be about? So it moves. So like letting the, like the, the emotions and the energy of that to have some space and have some movement can then result in that person having more resource and more more capacity to be able to express what's true without so much charge or so much um, backlog that could be impeding the ability to really receive and experience what might be true in that current dynamic. And then from there, it's like honoring the feelings And then also helping them mine for what is the need that's not being met because you're having that feeling.
1: Mm. These are great practices. That off-gassing the things that are getting in the way of direct perception in this moment, all the hangovers and the clouding of the lens. So you're working with people one-on-one now and in groups, right? Can you talk a little bit about your work? Mm.
0: Yes, I am. I am. My work is so intimate for me that often I feel a lot when I get to speak about it. So thank you for asking. As I have learned and grown and integrated different tools to share with others, I have lived them directly. And I speak from my own personal experience as well as weave a lot of practices and, and teachings and my my latest glorious passion is really supporting women in embodying their true essence in overcoming trauma, fear, pain, disassociation, disconnection, so that there is more life, more prosperity, more juiciness, more pleasure available to them. I also work with couples and groups, and I have decades also of working with men, which is also a delight because we are none of us are living in a vacuum. And the um, work includes a lot of neuroscience, somatics, and if I'm in person, we do energy work and body work and deep immersions as well, where they might include. Sacred medicines or deeper practices. Or we're utilizing that immersive amount of time to create some deeper, lasting change. My experience with my traumatic brain injury coincided with learning so much more about neuroscience and the attachment system from about this last 10 years. And I've always liked being able to have longer sessions or longer immersions personally. And I realize in this theme of safety, especially it's important to acknowledge, like we need this to build the trust with the person that we're working with. And in that trust field, there's this this time, like there's like this opening and this attuning, and there's a healthy attachment system that we can bring more online through the inquiry, through the time together, but also through different practices that actually go into the subconscious so that we can repattern places that have, we've had disruptions and it caused this inability to feel safe. And in this, the conversation that is in the attachment theory and poly- polyvagal theory and um, world, it would be dysregulation. Where we go into anxiousness or avoidance or um, power over, power under, because the attunement is so essential to the deep healing and transformation that needs to happen in the nervous system. I take this very, very seriously and is a great honor to help support people in repatterning and re-establishing a direct experience in their being that heals the nervous system across time
1: i'll put Varaja's contact information in the show notes so you'll be able to find her but there is one other thing uh, that was really intriguing to me and that's that you're starting a school to help other people learn how to do the work that you do will you tell us a little bit about that
0: Yes. And if you want to get an outline to sacred safety, you can go to receivemorelove.com and there's one there for you to download for free. And I am excited to be launching in February the Dakini University. And Dakini University is based on this ancient reference of Dakini. Dakini as being a female embodied being that is bringing in wisdom and compassion and energy into the world so there's actually the physical and non-physical dakinis there's worldly dakinis and there's wisdom dakinis and it's it's bringing in again the wisdom and the compassion in through our bodies and in through our lives and being bringing the union of that to the world so I am passionate about that journey myself and also helping other women trust and awaken and enjoy this access within themselves. So I like saying it's for the modern woman who wants to really truly embody and trust her sensual, sexual, and spiritual power for the benefit of all beings.
1: So it's to become a professional or to just do it for yourself or both?
0: The first days is for yourself and to have community
1: mm, I love that
0: yeah a lot of what I believe we're healing on the planet right now is to really see and be seen in our full power especially the women and to have community where we are amplifying each other and where we don't have to hold back or hide or be afraid of being killed to be honest
1: yeah there are a lot of places on the earth where being seen, period, in a female body is death-inducing.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So we are going to send all the love to every person in any kind of body that they may be fully seen, that they are safe to be themselves, that they can embody the divine spark that was given them at conception without the overlay of suffering. This cultures around the world seem to impose, and thank you so much for being a witness and a Enabler of that beautiful work, work you're doing.
0: Thank you. It's such an honor. It makes me very happy to be alive and share this with people.
1: Well, thank you so much to Viraja Prema. And as she mentioned, you can get free downloads of her sacred safety materials at receivemorelove.com. So I wonder what you're thinking now. What is safety to you? How do you feel most safe? When do you feel unsafe? Do you think you have a healthy relationship with safety? Like, is your spidey sense tuned in? These are questions I'm left with, and I'd love to dialogue with you on those things. You can find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman or on Facebook at The Rose Woman. So, all love, all blessings. May you feel whole and complete in the container that is your body, and may you feel deeply and safely interconnected with the web of all life. Blessings on you and your relations.